For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. Gentlemen, welcome to a brand new edition of Over the Line. I am Andrew McLean, and I have been having major sound problems this morning. So I have no idea how this is going to sound on the podcast, but I'm trying to uh, wing it. As best I can. I, actually, I, I feel a lot like a sound engineer because I'm over here turning a bunch of buttons. Only difference between me and a sound engineer is I'm turning buttons and I don't know what in the HE double hockey sticks I'm doing. I have no idea. I did forget to uh, share the live stream on social media. So y'all bear with me as I do that real quick like. We'll put that bad boy on Twitter. If you don't have me on Twitter, by the way, at Andrew McLean who? At Andrew McLean who on Twitter. And then uh, over the line on Facebook. We'll see. All right. That bad boy is on Twitter. I mean, not like y'all care because y'all are already here. Uh, and then on Facebook, oh God, there's Nancy Pelosi speaking live. Get that off my screen. Uh, OTL is live, done, and done. Look at that. That's called teamwork. Thank you all for your help and your participation. Uh, thank you, first of all, to all you guys that uh, spent your day listening to the radio in Birmingham yesterday. 
Uh, a lot of y'all reached out to me and said, uh, great show and all that stuff, all the comments on Facebook, all that on Twitter. Uh, I saw them all, and I appreciate each and every one of them, each and every one of you guys that uh, listened and, and uh, patted me on the back and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I had a good time while I was up there. I enjoyed going and hanging out with those guys, even though they used to be the enemies from across the road. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody's everybody's buddies. I guess it's like... It's like Washington, D.C., where the Republicans and the Democrats are having beer at the end of each workday. I don't know. So, uh, glad to be back in this very cold studio to hang out with you guys and put out some content. We've, uh, we've dropped the ball this week for a plethora of reasons, uh, but we wanted to at least put something out today that you guys could chew on over the weekend and uh, make sure you didn't think we just completely quit the podcast altogether. First of all, over the line show.com. Go there, sign up for the newsletter because when we uh, put the new stuff on the website, we want to be able to shoot you an email and let you know. Uh, social media is becoming less and less effective to uh, get the word out on certain things because of algorithms and suppression of conservative speech and whatever else so uh, there's no algorithms on email so we like to go that route if we can and uh, not to mention it's the most effective way to get in touch or get your message to people because most people check their email on a daily basis because it's for work or whatever else so Go on the website, put your email in there, and we won't bombard you with emails. We've actually had the website for well over a month, and we have not even sent but one email. So you don't have to worry about being spammed. We're not going to do it. Uh, Jeff Poor may be joining me a little later in the show. Don't know if that's going to happen or not. He's a busy man. He's probably not going to be on the show as much as he used to be, uh, but I don't think we've had him on in the past week or two. And... He's got, I, I want to talk to him about a particular subject. Because there's there's a book out, as, as most of you know, and we've brought it up on the show before, called a, the, uh, a Team of Vipers. Okay, Team of Vipers is a brand new book that just hit bookshelves. And it is written by a former White House aide that is basically Omarosa style, spilling the beans on all the things that happened in the Oval Office, in the White House, and, and painting, painting the Trump administration as in a state of constant chaos. That's what this book's about. We've seen it time and time again, whether it's Michael Wolff or uh, name, uh, pick your poison, uh, whatever. I, I can't even think of the, who all's written a book about what's go gone on in, uh, in the White House. But here's yet another and again, this is written by a former White House aide. I really don't know what his official title was. He was, um, he was a note taker, if you will. He would always be seen on TV during uh, Trump answering questions or some sort of meeting, sitting behind the president, writing down notes, whatever. This guy is named Cliff Sims. Now... For those of you that are not new to this podcast and actually listened to me while I was on the public airwaves, you know that I once worked with Cliff Sims. Uh, 
Cliff Sims hosted a show on the same station, uh, a midday show. Actually, while he was there, hosted a show with Scott Beeson that you know. Uh, that show was constructed, paid for, put on by Yellowhammer News, which is its own entity. Uh, Yellowhammer News went to that station and bought their own time slot, which meant we give you guys a check each month and you give us the uh, creative freedom to put whatever we want in, in that frame of time on your airwaves. So that's what they did, and Cliff was the owner of Yellowhammer at the time, so it was his baby, his his idea to, to put together a radio show to tag along with the actual website and, and the, the news outlet that is based around, uh, was, it, well, I, and I guess it still is, based around news in Alabama. Um, so he does that show, and... Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how long it went on for, maybe a year or two. And then uh, he ends up hanging it up. And in the early days of the Trump administration, I guess as they're putting their cabinet together, he receives a job as one of the White House aides. Now, I could get into the details of what I know about uh, how he got that job, but it's really not that important. You can imagine there was Alabama ties, direct Alabama ties. Uh, with Jeff Sessions in the early days of the White House and how that could possibly bleed over. So, um, he gets the job. He, from what I understand, sells the company. So now has nothing to do with the Yellowhammer brand. It is under new management by a lady named uh, Allison Ross, who I know to be... Uh, a nice person. I've never met her, but, uh, you know, I've never heard a bad thing about her, and I'm sure she's doing great with Yellowhammer. But Cliff, on the other hand, Cliff has, uh, uh, if you followed his social media or watched anything regarding him, uh, he showed an, an extraordinary amount of loyalty to the president and the MAGA movement. I would dare to say an Andrew McLean level of loyalty to the president. That much. And I know that's a lot. But this was a guy that was all in, all MAGA, all day, 100% behind Donald Trump. Then there was some drama uh, not long ago, I guess maybe summer of, of last year, maybe even earlier than that, where the... I guess it was the beginning of last year because it was right after the national championship. The Alabama Crimson Tide won the national championship. They get a trip to the White House, okay? And Cliff Sims allegedly has this plot to have Nick Saban, while he's there, sign a football that he's then going to give to the governor of Alabama, Kay Ivey. Well, it's kind of odd that... The only way Kay Ivey could get assigned football from the main football coach in her state is to wait till he gets to the White House and have another guy get him to sign it, but whatever. Those are minor details. So Clifford gets this 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 ball signed, this football signed, 
and uh, then gets approached about it as allegedly it's sitting uh, on his shelf in his office. And they're like, what is this? And he's like, oh, I just I was going to give this to the governor of Alabama. She asked me to do it. Anyway, ultimately he gets in trouble because he didn't get permission to do that. And that you can imagine how tight they are at the White House about those kinds of things. No nonsense, no autograph getting, no, no, no nothing. Especially if you're a White House staffer. If you're, if you're an aide, like, you're there for business. You're working. You ain't looking to, to boost uh, the likes on your Instagram or, or get uh, kudos from your, your, gover- your governor of your state or whatever. None of that. None of the monkey business. You're just doing work. So he catches a bunch of heat from General Kelly at the time, who is uh, chief of staff, and ultimately... Uh, gets sent out of that position. He gets the boot from his current position and sent over to the State Department, I guess to be some sort of aide for Mike Pompeo. And as far as I know, he is still there. I have not heard anything about him getting the boot from that position, although if I did confirm he's still there, I would be very surprised especially with this current book being out. So that brings us to the book. The book, which is called House of Vipers. Is it House of Vipers or is it Team of Vipers? Team of Vipers. See, I already forgot the name of the book. Um, now, in this episode, I'm going to give you some excerpts from this book. Because I kind of want to concentrate on it. And, and I know a lot of the, the conservative talkers are, are talking about the same topics over and over. And, and I talked about a lot of those same things yesterday when I was on air. Uh, but I want to just let you know, since nobody's really talking about this, at least on a local level, on a, on a level where they have some sort of connection to this, I want to give you some of the stuff out of the book so you know. Because I'm just assuming that you guys aren't rushing out to buy this thing. So as we go along in the show today, I'll give you some of that. Also, some of the other headlines, the president, unfortunately, has tweeted that he will not be delivering the State of the Union until after the shutdown. I think that's a bad move because the State of the Union would allow him, again, like he's done already, done twice already, it would allow him to give his message directly to the American people and say, Here's the deal. Here's the stats. Here's the angel moms in the crowd. Here's the people that have been affected by illegal immigrants. Here's the prayer rugs that we're finding abandoned on the border. That's what he should be doing, but uh, apparently he's called it off. We spent yesterday talking about places he could do it since Nancy Pelosi has uh, in a very breakup letter style uh, disinvitation to the president, told him he cannot come to the House of Representatives to deliver the State of the Union speech where it would normally be delivered. So Donald Trump tweets out just this morning, he says, as the shutdown was going on, Nancy Pelosi asked me to give the State of the Union address. I agreed. She then changed her mind because of the shutdown, suggesting a later date. This is her prerogative. 
and will do the address when the shutdown is over. I am not looking for an alternative venue for the State of the Union address because there is no venue that can compete with the history, tradition, and importance of of the House chamber. I look forward to giving a great State of the Union address in the near future. It is what it is. Maybe there's a bigger master plan behind that, behind not uh, doing the State of the Union But I personally think it's a bad call. I think Trump should go ahead and go with it. Put it out there. Take that opportunity to absolutely hammer the Democrats and make them look like a bunch of jabronis. But that's just me. And uh, (laughs) I'm a savage. That's why. That's why. Here's what we're going to do. I got plenty of other headlines I'm going to get to, uh, but uh, just because of time constraints, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, I'm going to bring on Jeff Poor, who is currently employed, or I say employed, he's a contributor to Yellowhammer News. So he's got somewhat of a connection as well to this whole House of Vipers thing. Team of Vipers. Why do I keep calling it the wrong book? Team of Vipers. So we'll pick his brain a little bit. He's a busy man. He's got his own radio show he's got going on and all that kind of stuff. So it's uh, we don't talk to him as often as we normally do. But uh, he's agreed to come on for just a few minutes this morning. And we'll see what he's got to say. Overthelineshow.com. All of our social media on there. Make sure you click it. Facebook, Twitters, all that stuff. And uh, like the pages. We post some really cool memes on there. And uh, we also make people angry. We're in the business of triggering. Over the line, we'll be back right after this.
Matt Smith. show.com Andrew McLean hanging out with you on this cold January 24th 2019 on the phone we have our dear good friend the one and only Jeff poor superstar Jeff poor Jeff how are you today buddy doing well thanks for having me on Andrew of course man um I've got this whole thing, and I told you this in a text earlier this morning. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of media coverage on the Team of Vipers book. Now, first off, have have you read this book yet? I have not. Uh, I'm not on the uh, the select uh, leak list. <laughs> There's a lot of you people know, on the list, apparently. I used to work for Cliff Sims about four or five years ago when he first started Yellowhammer. Uh, I, I, was, I worked for about six months. 
I know I'm okay. Well, like we talk every now and then, but I would, I would, I would say we're probably more acquaintances than friends. Yeah. Well, and, and the same goes for me, honestly. I mean, I worked in the same building as the guy. He would, wouldn't really even speak when you passed him in the hall. So <laughs> I can't say that, uh, I know a whole lot about him, but I have having that connection of working with him at one time. I've followed the story from you know uh, initially getting a job in the White House to um, getting a, a football signed by Nick Saban that was allegedly supposed to go to KIV to getting moved to the State Department to now he is uh, seems to be taking the Omarosa route and writing a new book about all the goings-on inside the White House. You've seen some of the excerpts that have been leaked out to the media, though, right? I mean, none of that's really a surprise. We all kind of knew about Kellyanne Conway, at least in the circle I travel in. Uh, she was a she, – she liked to play both sides of the media. And, 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 and to be honest, I've known Kellyanne Conway a long time, back when she was Kelly Fitzpatrick. She uh, – She's been kind of a Washington figure, I guess, like going back all the way to the mid-90s. But she was a person that was really more involved in the conservative movement and did a lot of polling on social issues. And would, would, maybe not at the presidential level, but there's always kind of congressional candidates that ran on that grassroots social issue. Uh, that was their big main platform, right? She was like a pollster and did polling for that kind of stuff in congressional districts. And it was Steve Bannon got brought along the campaign chairman. Obviously, he brought Kelly and Conway on because she she just kind of she was always sort of part of that Bannon sphere. When, when Bannon really became a thing at Breitbart, and this is after Andrew Breitbart died, uh, he had his he kind of had his favorites, and, and I think she was one of his favorites. And that's she rode sort of rode his coattails in, but once she got to the White House. Or once she got to the campaign and won Trump's trust over, she really became more of a more of a fixture in that whole movement than than even Bannon, you know, obviously because Bannon had to step aside. Well, and, and just to clarify for those listening, what you're referring to, what what he refers to uh, in, with Kelly and Conway in the book is, I believe, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, that she was a cartoon villain brought to life. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the way he said it in the Vanity Fair excerpt. Uh, I, I, I maybe that's true now. I, my experiences with Kellyanne Conway have always been good. She's always the one thing I always liked about Kellyanne was whenever you're up against the deadline and you needed a quote about something, she would you you would get a response from her at one two in the morning. My relationship's always been good. She may have changed once she got to that level of that rarefied air of the White House. I mean that's. For us that have ever lived in Washington D.C., that's that's like the Emerald City. You know, it's just you 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 can look at it and, and gaze at it from afar, but to imagine that you could ever work there is you know something that's so unfathomable. So I, I think that she maybe she changed, but just my personal experiences with her, I don't know. I, I never got that vibe. Yeah, well, and, and with the book overall. And I think it would be unfair to just call this this book fake news because I, I have no way of, of confirming anything in here, obviously. But I look through some of it, and I can see things that are uh, – things that he've, he's quoted the president as saying. I can see those to be true is where he's talking about uh, – he's talking to Paul Ryan. He says, Paul – 
Do you know why Democrats have been kicking your backside for decades? Because they know a little word called loyalty. Why do you think Nancy Pelosi has held on this long? Have you seen her? She's a disaster. Every time she opens her mouth, another Republican gets elected. But they stick with her. Why can't you be loyal to your president, Paul? I can see Trump saying that. And I really don't see anything wrong with him saying it. It's just, it's Trump. Uh, But even if this book is 100% accurate and everything that's, that's written in here has come out of the mouth of the people it's attributed to. What does it say about one Cliff Sims to get the privilege of working in the White House and then selling yourself to the almighty dollar to put this book out? I, I don't, you know, some of these books that have been like the, the Wolf book and the Woodward book, those were like the first two real tell-alls about the chaos in the Trump administration. I don't know. I mean, people do this, you know, that they've done this in administrations over the years. It's nothing new. I, I think it's a little early for that, but Cliff did it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to pass judgment on it. I suppose I, if I, if I were in Cliff's shoes, I probably, I don't know if I would have done it or not. It just depends on how much money was on the table. I, I guess we could all be bought at some price, but, uh, I guess it's true. I just I would be real cautious about selling myself out if uh, if it did some damage. Say it made Trump look bad. Who you know we wouldn't be talking. You and I might know still know who Cliff Sims is, but most of the most of the country would have no idea or care about this guy unless he if he had never worked for Trump, right? Right. So if if he's if Trump was his meal ticket, if Trump was his Trump was the guy. He, it made him what he is. It made us care about what he is. And I haven't read the book. I look forward to reading the book. But if it did something to harm Trump or anybody that helped me out along the way, that includes my old, my former employer, Steve Bannon, I wouldn't. I don't think I could do it. I I, I don't know. So I think I think we just kind of I kind of have to read the book to tell you. But uh, maybe it makes him look good. Maybe it makes Trump look good. Maybe it makes makes all these people that helped flip out along the way look good. If that's the case. Then I wouldn't have a problem with it, but if it doesn't, if it's kind of a backstabbing thing, and you 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 know, obviously, it just kind of leaves a, a a bitter taste in your mouth. Yeah, certainly. It, it, it's just it, we all know that being anti-Trump is big business right now. You can make a lot of money just from going out and bashing the president, whether that's via book or you know whatever the case is. You you can you can get the the almighty media crowding around you and lifting you up, hailing you as a hero. If you go out there and and bash Trump, especially if you come from the Trump circle like uh, Cliff has done. But at the same time, again, we don't know what kind of money was laid on the table to to watch those of us that watched Cliff as he was in his role in the White House, whether it's something as simple as we watched him on social media and how dedicated he was to the MAGA movement and all of this other stuff, it it was a dramatic turn to go from that persona to putting this book out, which it's hard for me to believe that it, this book was put out without the intentions of damaging the Trump administration or at least shining them in a bad light. Yeah, and... You know, that's I, I guess a lot of these things remain to be seen, to be honest with you, uh, Andrew. So 
if it if it does if it does wind up showing the the, the Trump administration in a bad light, completely capitalizing on it, then I, I, I think, especially in my neck of the woods, you know, I work at Breitbart News, uh, they'll will will probably turn on him pretty soon. But I I'm a little surprised that we haven't gotten uh, at Breitbart haven't gotten some kind of excerpts of this and it's going to these big outlets. So that's that tells me if it's going to Vanity Fair and the New York Times, then. Maybe that's a red flag. Maybe that's got to show things in a kind of a negative way. Yeah, that's and the first thing I thought about as well. Is is those were the first outlets reporting on this, even well before this latest round. And I said, well, the fact that those guys are the ones getting their hands on it shows me what the rest of the book is going to look like. Right. So. So we'll see. I, 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 it remains to be seen. Well, uh, tell me this. I, you, I, you, you, I, I don't know I, if I'm selling this book. What's well, think about this for a moment? What's the books that always lead to the bestsellers list? It, they're conservative books, right? Right. They're they're positive books. They're Mark Levin. They're they're Michelle Malkin. They're you know, if I'm selling this book, I think I'm going to go in the direction of making it a conservative sort of book, geared toward conservatives and not the the Beltway Northeastern elites, right? And I'm going to leak it to Breitbart, The Daily Caller, Free Beacon, whatever, National Review. You go down the list. That's who buys books. So, I, you know, I'm not really sure if he's just straight up trying to sell books or not. Maybe he is, but it remains to be seen. So, I, I think there's a possibility that if you went the pro-Trump route and put out a book as a White House advisor, it, it's possible you could sell some books. But the difference between conservative bestsellers and Democrat bestsellers or anti-Trump bestsellers, and, you know, the, even those are bestsellers only for a moment, and then they're on the discount shelf. I think I just lost Jeff. The difference between those two are actually that you can be a nobody on the anti-Trump side, and then when it comes to being... On the conservative side, you've actually got to be somebody. You can't just be Cliff Sims, who nobody's ever heard of, and expect to. I'm just going to call him back, and expect to uh, expect to sell a bunch of books. It doesn't work that way. You don't have to be anybody on the left. On the anti-Trump side, That's you can sell you, there. you can sell as many books as you want. I just kept talking, Jeff. I, I just, <laughs> you know, I just. And what I was saying is, the the difference is, is on the, on the conservative side. If you put out a positive conservative book, pro-Trump book, you almost have to be somebody. You got to be a Michelle Malkin. You got to be a Bill O'Reilly or a Brett Bayer or whatever. On well, the anti-Trump side. You can be a nobody, somebody nobody's ever heard of, like Cliff Sims, and then you'll, at least for a short time, be at the top of the list. I think David Bossy, who who did the Citizens United guy, and Corey Lewandowski, who we know from the Trump campaign early on, they put out a book together about it. Uh, and Culture puts out In Trump We Trust. Uh, so I, I, I don't know that – I think it – maybe you could put out a book and be a nobody and make it a pro-Trump book. I still think that Cliff, the smart play for Cliff is, and if it, it depends on what's in the book, but it would be to, it would be to go that route. But I don't know that that's going to create necessarily the media buzz like this is, and people are just just 
you know, fiending for some kind of some kind of anti-Trump stuff, and that's that's kind of where we are. Well, I, I, I do you remember the, the the press secretary for Bush? Uh, I can't remember his name, and he had the tell-all book, and people just went crazy for it. But the book didn't sell. The media went crazy for it. Uh, one of one of one of Bush's early press secretaries had a book, and it was really really an awful book, and it just didn't sell. But it got a lot of media attention. It's because the media so, goes out and reads the book to all of America, and there's no reason to buy it. Yeah, it's my suspicion that that, that happens. That you get so much, and all the good stuff gets leaked, and then people are just like, "Well, I don't need to buy the book anymore." Because that's not the people that buy books and read books. People that buy books and read books, I think, are are conservatives. And it's it's just you could just look at the bestsellers list at any given moment in the, over the last 20, 30 years, and it's dominated by conservative authors. Right. There's no doubt. All right. So, well, here's the thing. I would I would love to bring Cliff on this show on this podcast and have him explain it, but uh, I couldn't even get him to talk to me in the hallway when I worked with him. So. I got a feeling he's not going to want to come on this podcast and talk about his well, books. Well, I don't know. That's I don't know that that's true. I, I I suspect he'll do. Now you may not be getting the uh, the, the placement of Good Morning America or uh, or or sixty minutes or whatever he's going to do this little Axios on HBO, but I, I think he's he's gaming the Alabama media right now. If you look at Yellowhammer at any given time, if you look at Todd Stacy's Alabama Daily News, he'll make the rounds out here because this is probably where. This is probably where his book is going to sell, and he's going to wind up wanting to come back to Alabama. And my suspicion is Cliff Sims comes back to Alabama and tries to run for something. Mm. He's always had that in mind. He's always wanted to run. He talked about running for Spencer Bacchus' seat, the one currently held by Gary Palmer. Right. He, and if that's if that's sort of his game plan, then I wouldn't sell yourself short, Andrew. I think that he uh, – he might he might come on your uh, he could come on your podcast. Oh, man, that, that that would be good. I, I I would uh more I would be more than happy to have him as a guest on this podcast and talk to him about uh what happened. So I don't know. We'll see. What do you think? Uh, I'm gonna let you go, Jeff. But what do you think? Uh, Yellowhammer's stance as a company, and you may not even be able to comment on this. What do you think their stance as a company is going to be on Cliff's book? Are they just gonna? Oh, I think it's pretty clear. You can go look at the Elevers website and see that we're we're definitely pro Cliff Sims, pro book. And, and it's always been sort of that way. Even when Cliff left Yellowhammer to go work for the Trump campaign, Yellowhammer's been pro Cliff uh, ever since then. So I, I don't expect that to change. I think he's still got a family, considered family by the, the ownership, and uh, they'll they'll support him and make sure that his book gets plenty of plugs. Well, my back in the early days of Yellowhammer, one of my favorite moments, and, and Jessica and I used to talk about this on the show all the time, is when uh, Cliff was the main guy at Yellowhammer, and I don't even know if he had a bunch of people around him or within the company at that time, but when he would write a, a story about himself, instead of putting his name as the author, he would put press release, so we used to call him P-release all the time. Which was always kind of a uh, running joke. I mean, these wasn't the only one that did that, and, and and I'll admit here on air that some of those, some of those things that I wrote, he, he would write and put my byline on them. After I would have to edit them and put in my own words, but he like, for instance, when he was going to talk about running for Congress, you know, he would write something, a statement or a press release to me, 
And then I would pretty much copy and paste the quotes and make a story out of it. So, I mean, it's just, that's just how you do that. It's just how journalism works in a lot of places when it's, when it's nothing too serious, uh, when it's not obviously not deep throat or anything that's going to take down the president of the United States, you, you do those things. It's just a matter of process and protocol. Wow. I might have to put out a P release right now and uh, send it to all the media because I just got an exclusive right here on the show. It's <laughs> amazing. No, uh, the early days of Yellowhammer, when it was first starting, where, where it was, it was kind of the, the thing about these startups is they, they sound good, but you need journalism people to understand the rules and calling up politicians to understand how all that works. A lot of people just kind of come into it thinking people are going to talk to you because, hey, I got a website. Right. And as you know, that's not true. It's just not, right? No you kidding. You got to like kind of earn your way. So it takes the right kind of people and the right kind of approach. No doubt about it. Jeff Poor, who is a rock star these days. Jeff, tell them how they can find you online or listen to you on your brand new show on WVNN. It's twitter.com backslash Jeff underscore Poor. Or you can hear me two to five. Weekday Central Time on WVNN, SWVNN.com, and also on the iHeartRadio app. That's uh, one thing. If you enjoy hearing from your representatives or the big players in the state of Alabama, Jeff's got them on his show every single day. So you all make sure you, uh, if you're in the area, a lot of you guys are from North Alabama. So check it out, 92.5, that's right, or did I get that wrong? 92.5 and 770 AM. So we're, you know, if you have- the 925 is really like kind of more immediate in limestone in Madison County, but all throughout the Tennessee Valley, you should be able to pick up 770 AM on the dial. Look at that. My man, Jeff Poor, Breitbart, Yellowhammer, WVNN. Jeff, thanks, buddy. I'll be talking to you soon, my man. Thanks for having me on. There you go, Jeff Poor. Taking the time out of that schedule. He's got a million things going on, and yet he still talks to us here on Over the Line. We'll take a break real quick, come back on the other side. Break down a little bit more of this and everything else happening across the political world. As Trump announces today, he will not be conducting the State of the Union speech until the shutdown is over. So the next question is, when will the shutdown be over? Back after this.
has heard the poem called The Snake. So I have it. Does anybody want to hear it again? You sure? Are you sure? Okay. So let's dedicate this to General Kelly, the Border Patrol, and the ICE agents for doing such an incredible job. This was written by Al Wilson a long time ago. And I thought of it having to do with our borders and people coming in. And we know what we're going to have. We're going to have problems. We have to very, very carefully vet. We have to be smart. We have to be vigilant. So here it is, the snake. We need to build a wall. We need to build a wall. We need to build a big, beautiful wall. We need to build a wall. We need to build a wall. We need to build a big, beautiful wall. We need to build a wall. We need to build a wall. We need to build a big, beautiful wall. We need to build a wall. We need to build a wall. We need to build a big, beautiful wall. On her way to work one morning, down the path along the lake, a tender-hearted woman saw a poor, half-frozen snake. Pretty-colored skin had been all frosted with the dew. Poor things, she cried, I'll take you in and I'll take care of you. We need to build a wall. We need to build a wall. We need to build a big, beautiful wall. We need to build a wall. We need to build a wall. We need to build a big, beautiful wall. We need to build a wall. We need to build a wall. We need to build a big, beautiful wall. We need to build a wall. We need to build a wall. We need to build a big, beautiful wall. But if I brought you in by now, oh heavens, you would have died. She stroked his pretty skin again and kissed him and held him tight. But instead of saying thank you, that snake gave her a vicious bite. Line, over the line show.com. Andrew McLean hanging out with you today, January 24th, 2019. Nancy Pelosi is currently speaking 
I guess doing her weekly press conference. I don't know. This may be a special press conference, but I want to bring you a little bit of that. I have no idea what she's talking about, but she's probably crying about the government shutdown. So let's check it out. All along, uh, we have been uh, working on our congressional responsibility uh, to uh, write bills, appropriations bills, to keep government open. Many of those bills have come to the floor again and again uh, just this week. Uh, the Homeland Security bill has not, was not finished. Hopefully it will be finished soon. And out of that, you will see our commitment to border security. Uh, that's not any negotiation behind the scenes or anything like that. Within our $49 billion Homeland Security bill, there will be some provisions. You heard about $1.5 billion that I just said here that are not within that bill. They're in the Treasury Department. They're in the Justice Department. Uh, and and um, the, uh, I don't know what they call it anymore. When I was ranking Democratic, it was called Foreign Ops, but that, that Foreign Ops State Department bill. So that's one and a half billion. But within the, uh, separate from that is the um, Homeland Security bill. And within that, we will have some of our uh, proposals for what comes next. Ask Yes, sir. Many of them will be here. Many of them will be here. Some of them will be home listening to the stories and and uh, commiserating with uh, those who have lost their jobs. Uh, as you probably know, uh, while people think of the Washington area as the place where most federal employees are, they are, in fact, indeed, all over the country, in my district as well. The, uh, and some will be here this afternoon. We'll have some after the Senate acts, hoping that they could accept $12 billion for disaster assistance in two weeks uh, shut, uh, to open up government to end the shutdown so that we can negotiate. If that doesn't happen, uh, we'll be um, speaking, telling the stories of these, uh, of these families. So some will be here, some won't be here, but all of them on notice to be here. Well, they, they, if we have some uh, vote that we can take, we will be in session. Uh, it is, that is not a closed case, but uh, I'm still optimistic. I'm still optimistic in the goodness of the Republicans in the Senate that they will care enough about these people uh, that they will say, okay, we'll give two weeks so that we can uh, negotiate uh, a evidence-based, cost-effective, value-respecting way to protect the American people with border security. That doesn't seem like a big ask, especially since we still need to pass uh, the um, disaster assistance. That's a simple ask. Senators, oh, I don't think we can speak to them in that way. My hope is that the senators will pass a bill uh, that addresses the concerns of the disaster assistance, $12 billion. We need to pass that legislation, A, and B, two weeks, February 8th, short period of time, open up government, let the uh, negotiations continue or begin at a certain stage uh, so that we can honor the work that these people are doing, deflect the, uh, uh, those on the Republican side who want to shrink government, and this is one way to, do, to engineer that. Be respectful of how we are protected by our, in our civil a aviation, 
uh, and the security of the, the FBI provides for us in so many ways that are shut down uh, because they just don't understand why people have to stand in food lines. Thank you. So Nancy Pelosi, uh, <laughs> she, she, the, the press is starting to get sick of her because uh, even they're asking, like, why, why are you not even being in? Why are you not being in session? Why? Like, what's the point? I mean, if you're you're that concerned about this government shutdown, shouldn't you at least, you know, be there waiting on something, being in the room with Trump, trying to find a compromise, instead of just turning down every offer and saying? If it's got a wall, we're not going to do it, and we're not even going to listen to you. Why not go talk, go talk to him? Trump is a master at this stuff because he has painted Democrats in a corner yet again, and here's why I say that. He took responsibility for the shutdown, yet he has somehow figured out a way to make it make the perception be that the Democrats are the ones now— responsible for the shutdown because he knew if he stuck to his guns that it would come to a point where Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and the rest would stop meeting with him. Once they realized that he was not going to bend on the wall, because he's, he's, he's compromised on the wall a few times during his presidency. He's pushed it off and pushed it off. Now they're realizing he's not, so they're just trying to wait it out. And wait it out is what Trump wants them to do. Trump has watched, and you can even see these quotes in Cliff Sims' new book. Trump has watched the Democrat Party, who he's been very close to. He, I guess, considered him a Democrat, himself a Democrat at one time, back when Democrats weren't left-wing Looney Tunes. Uh, he watched these people, and he saw how they operated. And he knows the loyalty that is within the Democratic Party and how these people band together and how they are really sheep that just follow the leader. They, they, don't, they don't go up against each other. They don't fight. They don't have an infighting like the Republicans do. Uh, even the moderates in the Democrat Party still go along with it. You see that with, I don't know if you can consider Doug Jones a moderate, but uh, Joe Manchin, who's broke ranks a few times, but nothing on a, a major scale other than probably Kavanaugh. You haven't seen him really branch out there in, in, in a legislative way, in an actual vote, and go against the Democrats in any major, major way. Uh but Trump knows if he paints them in this corner that he can break that loyalty up. And I think that's what he's looking to do, is he's looking to break that loyalty up within the Democrat Party and force Nancy Pelosi, force her hand, force her to allow this wall to go through. Because now, and I said this yesterday on air, now... You have Democrats from different representatives from, from different parts of the country that have their constituents that are federal workers that are missing their second paycheck tomorrow coming to them and saying, I don't care what you do, put a wall up or whatever, but you've got to fix this. And these Democrats listen to their local people. They listen to the people that voted for them. And they take that back to Capitol Hill and they tell Nancy Pelosi, 
look, you're not even attempting to make a compromise. And my people are hammering me back home. They're hammering me about coming to, uh, forcing you to come to some sort of compromise. They just want their paycheck at this point. Trump knew that was going to happen. Nancy Pelosi may stick to her guns. But if she does, it only further breaks up that loyalty within the Democrat Party, which is going to be a very good thing. And it's a genius plan put together by Donald Trump, if in fact that that was his intentions. I don't know if it is. I'm just, as a spectator on the outside looking in, this is what I see happening. I see Nancy Pelosi being put in a position where she is ruining the loyalty that the Democratic Party had enjoyed for so long. The loyalty that kept them in the better negotiating position where they would always force Republicans to compromise. They never had to compromise. You remember I've said that the reason Democrats are pitching a fit is because they're so used to Republicans being the one that caved. Republicans always caved. Democrats got their way. They didn't have to compromise. Now that's changing, and the Democrats in the House are going to the Speaker and saying, listen, Linda, listen, Linda, we're getting hammered back home. Federal workers are beating our office doors down and telling us to figure something out. Telling us we got to fix this. We got to get you to fix this. And if that's the overall plan, it's absolutely genius. And it's something that will be a positive thing, not just for this Congress, but Congresses in the future. The Democrat Party, just as a result of the, the last elections, have their own set of problems. They can't get a handle on this current class where a bunch of the, the a bunch of the farthest left liberals were elected that you could possibly think of. They literally elected people that are talking about an Alabama ringworm crisis and that the planet's going to end in 12 years. That's who they've elected. People that are proposing 70, 80, 90 percent income tax rates. Democrats of the past would be rolling over in their grave if they saw that. So they've got that going on, which those wackos are completely fine with Nancy Pelosi holding out. But it's those moderates, it's those red state Democrats that are feeling the heat. And they're going to Pelosi and they're saying, no, 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 we can't. We can't continue on this path. If the president is not going to cave, I know this doesn't affect you, and it doesn't affect your mansion, it doesn't affect your paycheck, and it doesn't affect your vacations that you're wanting to take during the government shutdown. But the people in my district are losing their minds. Now, for some reason, Nancy Pelosi continues to harp on that, even though she's shown she doesn't care about those people, harp on the fact that federal workers are now uh, filling up food banks and, and are starving. And after only one month of no paycheck, they, they're going to miss their second paycheck tomorrow. 
after missing a second paycheck, or before missing a second paycheck, they're already losing their homes, their cars, and all that stuff. Now, if y'all are like me, y'all ain't got no money. Y'all probably, a lot of y'all probably live paycheck to paycheck. And you struggle to pay bills and, and finances are always a headache. But even in the position, in, in that type of position, would you lose everything you had within three and a half weeks? Within three weeks? I mean, everything? Federal workers far and wide hold several different positions that pay several different things. But the media and the Democrats are completely hyping this thing up. Completely blowing this out of proportion to prove a point that they're the ones that care about the federal workers. When as each day passes by, it becomes more evident that they don't give two sacks of monkey dung about federal workers. Because if they did, they could end it by simply, and if they feel like they're wasting it, waste away. They're going to say, well, here's what we did. Just to make sure you guys can start getting paid again, we were willing to swallow our pride and waste zero point one three percent of our annual budget on something we thought was unnecessary because that's all it is it's 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 about something that they say is just unnecessary not that it's something that is going to put us in danger not that it's something that's going to crumble our economy or is a threat to public health or is going to cause some sort of wild aids outbreak in america that's not why they're against the wall they're against the wall simply because they say it is unnecessary and it's immoral. Can you imagine people in Washington, D.C. telling you what's immoral? Well, they do that all the time. But how absurd is that? Democrats in Washington, D.C. Politicians in general telling you what's immoral. So the bottom line is they are holding out because of something they view as wasteful spending. A very, very small fraction, a fraction of a fraction of the annual budget. They're willing to keep the paychecks from federal workers because of that. Because of something that they feel is unnecessary. Not a danger to society, just unnecessary. Democrats are in a bad position. You can watch Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo and and, and Lawrence O'Donnell and Rachel Maddow all you want. And watch them freak out day after day about how Trump has caused this and he's the sole reason behind it. But American people, they're not buying it. They're seeing this for what it is. And they see two sides. One side that's willing to come to a compromise and another side that's not even willing to meet with the other side. That speaks volumes. And it works in Trump's favor. Should this have been passed long ago? Of course it had. But I also want to slap the taste out of the people's mouth that say, Republicans held the House and the Senate for two years. Why didn't they get it passed? Well, because the Republican Party aren't sheep like the Democrats. They play follow the leader. We got a couple Republican jabronis in there. It just shows you they don't really want a wall. They're just playing you. 
Well, the Senate's now ready to, to get the wall. They're ready to go. And even if they don't want the wall, it's evident that Donald Trump does, and he's the one, he's the one that makes the final signature on that paper. So they need to decide. Trump has nothing to lose. If Trump holds out and keeps the government shut down until 2020 and it causes him to lose the election, what happens? Donald Trump goes back to Mar-a-Lago. He goes back to Trump Tower. He spends his days playing golf and playing with the grandbabies. It's okay for him. He's got a nice life after this. As far as the rest of these people, their intentions, I'm sure, are staying in the government for a long while. Nancy Pelosi, I'm sure, wants to wants to wants to continue to stay in Congress until her face spasms don't let her don't let her work anymore. Trump's got nothing to lose. Everybody else, they've got everything to lose. That right there shows you the intentions behind what Trump is doing. He's doing it because he feels like it's the right thing. We'll continue to watch that. Uh, some of the other headlines from across the way uh, that we've seen today. I-, I wanted to read you some more excerpts from that uh, Team of Vipers book, but I'll just, I'll wait. I'll save that for another day. I think I've said what I need to say on that front. Uh, again, the president tweeted out today that he will not be delivering the State of the Union speech. He uh, tweeted, Nancy asked me to give uh, the speech. I agreed. She changed her mind because of the shutdown, saying uh, we should do it at a later date. That's her prerogative. I'll do the address when the shutdown is over. He said, I'm not looking for an alternative venue for the State of the Union because there's no venue that can compete with the history, tradition, and importance of the House chamber. I look forward to a great State of the Union address in the near future. I believe Donald Trump wanted to give the State of the Union speech Somewhere. But with talking to many people, probably inside and outside of his cabinet, he's decided that that's, that that scene, that view of the president standing there in the House of Representatives giving the State of the Union speech with the members of the House, members of the Senate, members of the Supreme Court all sitting there watching. That it's uh, that's important enough to wait. Would it be nice if he would go ahead and give the State of the Union speech and lay it all out there, like I said earlier? Show the stats of what's happening at the border. Have the angel moms in attendance stand up and receive a round of applause from half the room. Yeah, it'd be fantastic. But Donald Trump is saying that. We'll just wait. It's fine. Because I've got Democrats exactly where I want them. They're falling apart. Their loyalty's breaking up. And I'm over here looking like uh, I'm trying to compromise. He took his lumps on that, on, on, the, on the State of the Union speech. He's like, you know what? The shutdown's pretty important, so I'll just, I'll just wait. Because I'm still working on, well, I'm working on ending the shutdown. Unlike the people I'm supposed to be negotiating with who are trying to literally fly out of the country for weeks at a time. We'll keep an eye on that, see where it goes. There's plenty on the um, 
the the MAGA hat kids stuff that Nathan Phillips, the Indian guy that's involved in that, he is uh, he was on. I guess this was this morning. He was on uh, with what's her name? Not Katie Turr, but uh, who's the chick on on the Today Show? I can't even remember. I'm looking for a name. I thought I had it. Uh, anyway, she had him on and asked him what he thought about the response from the the kid, the the infamous kid from the Catholic high school, and he shows that he has no no remorse or he doesn't feel bad for the way this thing turned out or anything. He's sticking to his guns, and he's still attacking these kids. After it's proven that this guy's credibility is shot, he's nothing more than a political pawn. He's an activist. He's a fake Vietnam vet. Never was deployed to Vietnam. He's still attacking these kids. Let me tell you what. Before we get out of here, I'll just play this real quick for you. Listen to... uh, Nathan Phillips on the Today Show. Uh, again, I believe this was earlier today. If it's not, don't hold it against Kentucky. me. It's not my fault. And Nathan Phillips is with us now. Mr. Phillips, good morning to you. Good morning. First of all, first question, how are you doing? This has been a whirlwind few days for you. You find yourself on oh, the, the front page doing? of every newspaper. I feel so bad how for are you. you doing and how are you feeling? Well... I woke up strong this morning and with a really positive attitude and I, uh, I had an opportunity to go and to a traditional prayer ceremony and, and that was the other night and yesterday I woke up with all kinds of good feelings in my heart and for all those who've been, uh, been mean to me, I want to forgive them. I believe you've had a chance to see the interview that the the student at the center of this gave. What was your reaction? What did you think of what he had to say about this encounter? I was I was upset. I was made to sit down and watch it. Why is that? Um I read his statement, and then when I got into the first, well, I started, somebody tried to show it to me before I went to my prayer ceremony, and I got into about the first 30 seconds, 40 seconds of it, and I said, well, that's all I needed to hear. And and what was your reaction to it? How did it make you feel? What did you think about his words and his explanation and his version of this encounter? Um... Uh, coached and written up for him, insincerity, um, lack of responsibility. You know, those are the words I I came up with, and and uh, but then I went to go pray about it. And then I woke up and woke up with this uh, forgiving heart and. So, I forgive him. <laughs> you like that old gag where you, you uh, attack the kid on the front end and then on the back side, you're like, but, you know, I forgive him, even though he's a punk. For you, or do you think he should have apologized? Well, if there's an apology, there'd be an apology for 
his own behavior to a lot of other people's beside me, I'd be like way down on the list of his people he needs to apologize to. But because of the tomahawk chop and the mocking and the, those things, and, and in one of his statements, he did say that he was the leader of that. He got permission from his uh, school teacher. So, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of times he could have walked away. Did you hear anyone say, build that wall? It isn't audible on the video clips, I think, that are out there, but did you hear that? You know, I did hear that. And I have seen some out there on the um, on the internet uh, where there's you can hear them saying build that wall. Okay, <laughs> I heard it out there on the internets. He he says, yeah, I heard it on the internets. People chanting build that wall, but the reporter, the reporter, which take that with a grain of salt says that we haven't seen any videos where they're chanting, build that wall. This dude's full of crap. He's got no credibility. I don't care that he's a Native American elder, even that he's a veteran. He is a veteran. He just didn't serve in Vietnam, like you said. He's full of crap. He's got no credibility. He should be ashamed of himself for continuing to go out here and bash these kids who were provoked. And even if they did a tomahawk chop, they... Shouldn't have done it. That's fine. Slap them on the wrist for it. Who cares? They're kids. But this is all after being yelled, being yelled at. These these nasty slurs thrown at them, being harassed by these black Hebrew Israelites. And then this guy comes up and starts beating a drum in this kid's face. Okay, in this kid's face. Acting like he's trying to defuse the situation. So the kids that are getting yelled at, the way you defuse that is get up in the face of the victim of that exchange. Yeah, it makes total sense. This dude's a jabroni. And uh, everybody that continues to bring him on TV and give him airtime, they are jabronis as well. They should be ashamed of themselves just as much as this guy should be ashamed of himself. That's it. That's all I got. We are out of here. Hope you all have a fantastic weekend. Don't forget, OverTheLineShow.com. All of our social media is on there. Go to the bottom, sign up for the newsletter, and we will hook you up with all the info you need pertaining to this here show. Also, wish P. Diddy a happy birthday. His birthday is Sunday. That makes him... Nine years old. We're going to party like rock stars and uh, throw down. Until next time, see you, cuz.